you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the big show. As always, when the Iron Lady sings, that makes it official, and we're officially live on the Chris Voss Show. Thanks to my audience for tuning in. You know, for 15 years, we've been bringing you the smartest people, the CEOs, the billionaires, the White House presidential advisors, governors, Congress members, you name it, U.S. ambassadors, astronauts, Pulitzer Prize winners, the most brilliant people. They write the books. They spend tens of thousands of hours doing their research, sometimes a lifetime, collecting their stories. And as we always say on the Chris Voss Show, stories are the owner's manual to life. And if you don't learn something, from every show that we have. I mean, we just have these shows where even I, for all the knowledge we collected and thousands of guests that I've interviewed, learn. I mean, we have these epiphanies where I'm like, holy crap, you made me look at that in a whole different light and angle. And so hopefully you're getting that on the Chris Foss show. And if not, just go back and listen to every podcast until you get it. <laughs> Or for the show to your family, friends, and relatives, go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Chris Foss One on the Tickety Talkity, and Chris Foss Facebook.com. We have another amazing gentleman and author on the show. He's the author of the newest book that has come out. Be I'm sorry, let me agree hit that. On the origin of artificial species came out november 3rd 2023 david r wood joins us on the show and he'll be talking to him about his latest book and his journey through life he is the founder and ceo of rsg federal he possesses over 20 years of professional experience supporting u.s government agencies including all dod branches the pentagon uscg and hhs utilizing a versatile skill set he consistently delivers breakthrough results in support of enterprise transformation efforts this includes leading the design tailoring and implementation of industry best practice frameworks and to uniquely suit agency enterprise strategies and objectives in addition he's a former united states army enlisted soldier and commission officer with infantry and signal branch qualifications welcome to the show david how are you i'm well it's a pleasure thank you for having me on sir. it's an honor to have you as well sir thank you for your service give us your dot coms where can people find you on the interwebs on the interwebs, oh, at rsgfederal.com and then on LinkedIn. We're also just starting up a YouTube channel um, mm. and a Twitter under drw underscore art, art evil art for artificial evolution. There you go. So we're going to be talking about AI on the show. Is that what we're up to? Or what is artificial species? Yes. So we're here to talk about, so artificial intelligence is a result of my research mm. and the discovery that I've made. But we're actually here to talk about bottom line up front. I accidentally discovered a second pattern of evolution. Ah, there you go. Probably explains, this, is this the one that explains my weird relatives? No, I'm just kidding. No, just no. <laughs> I don't know. I can't speak for them. No. I have to see yeah. them at Christmas. So yeah. give us a 30,000 overview of your book on the origin of artificial species. Sure. So uh, 30,000 foot, there's a pattern that Charles Darwin discovered that he published mm -hmm. in 1859. That is actually a conceptual pattern that describes the invisible way 
that you can't see with the naked eye. It has to be seen as Plato says in the mind's eye oh. in order to understand how, how evolution, how billions of years of evolutionary competition has unfolded. The key mechanism he discovered was that of natural selection. It's basically self-sorting. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's very simple concept. The NBA playoffs, the football, NFL playoffs, all of our playoffs are all based on that mechanism. It's an artificial variation of natural selection. The school board dictates who lives and who dies. Ah. Same thing in evolution. So uh, this is where when I see those TikTok videos of people jumping off of stuff and it doesn't turn out well, is that part of it? Well, that, yeah, that's part of it because I, I always joked around ever since I was a kid without realizing I say never self-select yourself for extinction. That's why never I'm, self-select yourself yeah. for extinction. I'm going to get that on a shirt or a hat or maybe a tattoo just to remind myself every day. Yep. But yeah, I, you see that all the time on the internet and when yep. America's Funniest Home Videos. Never self-select people. Just never do it. But, you know, I mean, the great thing is, is, I mean, it used to be that, you know, I, I remember growing up in an age where we didn't have to put on bridges, you know, don't jump off the bridge. We didn't have to put warning labels on, on stuff to say, maybe don't let the baby play with the plastic. But evidently we're, we've become such an idiot culture that are there too many lawyers suing everybody for everything that I, I don't know why we have to tell so many people so many things. Like, it just seems obvious to me, but. I don't know. Maybe that's the reason I'm still here. No, no. And, and, and that's actually, you're pointing to actually artificial evolution is the pattern where we create new ideas and new technologies. Mm-hmm. That's what we've actually been, it's been invisible to us because we're on the inside looking out. So what's mm-hmm. happening is artificially you can create dumb ideas, right? In nature, she produces adaptations that don't work. Well, they go extinct. And so the same thing happens with cultures, which are artificial mm-hmm. species. The same thing happens with like the payphone. Nobody wants mm-hmm. it anymore. So it goes extinct. When you start, stop being artificially selected because the adaptation that we created a cell phone, a pay phone, a, a communism, it doesn't work. Mm. So it, it goes extinct eventually because eventually a natural evolutionary competition will put it out of business. So that's how the two work together. We so create, it sounds, yeah, go ahead, sir. It sounds like you could apply this to business governments, you probably this to everything in the world, but yep. you know, for me, an entrepreneur and for a lot of people that are entrepreneurs listening and business CEOs, it sounds like this could be used to identify, you know, like when BlackBerry used to dominate the market yes. and then was off put by iPhones yep. in your research. Did you, did you figure out, is there a way to figure out when, you know, when you've artificially created something, when it's going to hit the proverbial wall and be moved into extinction? I, you know, that that's a great question. The same question Darwin asked in natural ecosystems, unfortunately, is a very similar in artificial ecosystems. Typically, you can have what they call a condition that you find in nature is the same condition you find in artificial ecosystems like Wall Street. It's chaotic, right? One small thing can cause a chain reaction that can actually cause a business to go out of business, and it's kind of invisible, right? So mm-hmm. it's the same thing in natural ecosystems. That's why Darwin said in his book, it's often amazing that you can't quite tell what the cause and effect relationships are up and down the chain. So, But what you can try to do is look for previous patterns in history, right? Mm-hmm. In his book, Thomas Siebel and Digital Transformation, which is one of the reasons why he reached this conclusion, he says that being executive, one of the key things you need to be able to do is find patterns in history and be able to map those patterns to what's happening now and therefore explain what's about to happen. Darwin is the same thing with evolution. You try to use past evolutionary history because it's the only game in town and it you know, an asteroid hit the planet once, wiped out all the dinosaurs. 
And what did the one pattern of evolution combined with laws of physics do? It just repeated itself all over again. When the ice age ended, everything went extinct. What happened? Just happened all over again. So, you know, a lot of what's going on now are actually just, just variations of previous artificial evolutionary patterns. Kind of like there's something called where everything becomes a crab, eventually evolves to become a crab. Many species will evolve to become a crab because the same competitive and environmental conditions always repeat throughout Earth's history. So mm-hmm. that's why. So that's what, you, yes, the research in my book where in chapter 12, I lay out the artificial evolutionary pattern. I intentionally, in order to help people not have to imagine it like I did, I picked the NFL. I picked Michael Porter's Five Forces. I picked my ITIL framework, which I'm a master in. I used the Sun Tzu, the Art of War. I picked concepts from ex- all the different academic, military, business fields, economic, like Adam Smith, also nations, that you're already familiar with and you can already understand and just map them to evolutionary concepts in Darwin's book. There you go. It's all math and mapping. Who knew? You know, there's a a semi-famous quote of mine that I always tell that people like, the one thing man can learn from his history is that man never learns from his history, and thereby we go round and round. And that's really the thing, you know, whether it's governments, whether it's empires, whether it's, you know, it it, it seems like you cracked the code on on this, on how it works. Now, now the the big thing is is if we can somehow make it predictable. Like I'd like to know when my ride's supposed to get off or when I'm supposed to go and stink. I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. It's one of those things. But you know, I mean, what with product, you know. Well, let me ask you this. This is what I was thinking about when, when we were going through that. The one thing I you learn in business, and it's actually true in life as well. Not a lot of people echo it through in life, and that's why people listen to the Chris Foss show. I hope. The one thing is. In business, if you're not constantly improving, if you're not constantly growing, you're dying. You're yes. on a downward spiral. Yes. You have to be going up. There's no flat line in the business. You know, you, yeah. you're, you know, you're, I've had very few companies in all the times that I can think of them where, you know, we went from like, you know, $3 million in profit one month to, to, you know, just flat line zero in the next month, you know. If we crashed, it was like, you know, negative, whatever. It was never like, just like, meh. You know, it was either up or down. And that's kind of the way businesses work. I mean, you can have you can have bad months or your investment months and stuff like that that affect the bottom line. But but technically, if your business isn't growing, if you're not adding customers, you're not adding revenue, you're not innovating, and, and you, it's a constant problem-solving process. And the same is true of life. If you're not growing as a person, reading, that's why all the, all the richest, most powerful people in this world and, and smartest people in this world, they're constantly reading, they're constantly getting education, they're constantly, you know, Bill Gates, I was watching the other day, I was, He's he like uses the big expensive Samsung flip phone so he can read more when he's out and you see him, he'll be on a boat or something, like a small sailboat, he's got a book on him, he's like reading a book, he's just constantly reading and so yeah if you're not improving your life is that the way to hack the system to be constantly improving constantly adapting yes. constantly eating your own lunch as as you know like people like apple did with the ipad where you you have to cannibalize yourself and and and, and renew yourself otherwise someone else will Yes, that's exactly how it works. So effectively, what, what you're describing is what Darwin called survival of the fittest and the strongest. Ah. Now, 
human beings have to do that as well. We have to, every day you have to show up in the NFL and you have to, you know, they're always drafting, they're always looking to replace you. The mm -hmm. NFL is a great example of an artificial ecosystem that because it's such fierce competition mirrors that of natural evolution. Evolution is always looking to replace a species with a better variation of itself. Well, your coach is trying to do that every year when he's drafting <laughs> players. And, and Bill Walsh wrote a great book called The Winning Edge, where he said you should, you should cut a player or trade him two or three years before he starts to lose his edge, right? Before yeah. he starts to lose his value. Belichick followed the same ruthless strategy in, in his, and it conforms to evolutionary theory because you cannot wait for your opponents to identify and exploit your weaknesses because you may go your company, you as a professional may be pushed aside by new professionals with more innovative ideas. You're mm -hmm. constantly having, just like in natural evolution, to fight for your place in the artificial ecosystem in which you're operating, your workplace, mm -hmm. your society, your culture, your industry, period, because there's always somebody. And this goes back to what you're talking about. Every natural species wants to expand. It's a concept in Darwin's book. So do people want. That's why in Dale Carnegie's book, everybody has a feeling of importance. Everybody wants to socially expand because that ensures their survival. It's actually oh. an evolutionary concept. And Plato writes about it. He's the one who cracked the code, by the way. Plato and are evolutionary scientists. I decoded in my book in chapters 9 and 10, I decode the ancient Greeks. They were completely mistranslated. Plato talks about it, about how every nation wants to expand, where Socrates and him go back and forth. And Socrates goes, so there'll be war then. And Plato goes, yep. Yeah. Because that's the way it is. There's scarce resources. It's like that in industries, just like it is in natural. There's only so many consumers, so many eyeballs for social media. There's only so many consumers of a product or service. So we basically, it literally are artificially created an artificial variation of the exact same process. So it's artificial evolutionary theory, but it's actually the same. And there you if, go. If you understand the natural evolutionary concepts and you understand how they apply to human activity, it kind of takes away the mystery of what's going on. So yeah, you're in the survival of the fittest. Like for example, one of the things they see on the internet nowadays is, you know, you know, men have to compete to in order to be selected by women in competition. Why? Because they're looking to survive too, and you mm -hmm. have to be the fittest. If you start losing your edge, you know, a lot of uh, that's what that's why a lot of women actually move on from men is because it's actually an evolutionary instinct, and it's irrational. You can't argue with evolution. So all you can do is do a lot of they call it leveling up. It's literally mm -hmm. just make yourself more competitive. Make yourself. Yeah, yeah fittest option for a woman i mean it's just evolutionary theory you're cut and dry yeah you brought me to the point i was going to go to you know I've, I've been single for 35 years and dated all my life i've seen changes in the dating market and expectations for men and yeah it's it's i'll talk to people and i'll be like you know it's it's it, it life isn't fair the universe isn't fair there's no quality in the universe there's complementary nature in the universe but there's no there's no there's no equality in the universe it's yeah. it's not it's not the way the universe works the universe is not fair and i'll tell people the universe is a survival game that's what you're living is a survival game survival of the fittest you're crying and bitching and whining about how oh it's not working out for you it's survival of the fittest if it's not working out for you and, and to your point of what you really document in your book is it really is so you better yes. you better wise up now you know the, the one thing the one thing is is women control access to sex but men control access to marriage so there actually is a qualification on the other side yes. for for women that women have to that women have to qualify as well yes. so there's that and it's important that men recognize that because it seems like all amount of men don't just seem to be servile these days if i hear if i hear happy wife 
happy life one more time, I'm going to punch somebody in the face. No, I'm with you. I, I just remember the, the show Rome, which is one because I love Roman history. And there's the it's a woman who says it best, actually, the, the, the woman Atia, where she forces her daughter to divorce her husband because she wants to marry her to Pompey as a strategic alliance. And the husband starts to cry and she just goes, a weak man. Oh, that's of no use to anybody. There you go. There you that's go. It. And that's yeah. the Darwinian thinking. I mean, survival of the fittest. Yeah. The data right now shows that of divorces that are filed, 90% are filed by women that are educated and 80% that are not educated. So they're filing most of the divorces. And people, you know, guys are like, well, what? why is this going on? Is because, well, women are hypergamous by nature, but it's all about the propagation of the species. It's about competition for resources, like you've talked about in your book. And, you know, we, we, we all do everything we can to survive and breed. I mean, that's really our, our, our paradigm. Right. And people hate that. They go, oh, that sounds so base and, and crass and very caveman-like. But yeah, we're really caveman-like when it comes down to it. To fall back to something you talked about that was kind of interesting, though, is you know, you've you studied the NFL or base your models, you use yep. your the examples of the NFL as your models. You mentioned Bill Belichick. One thing that's interesting is he's on the fence now for his job. Mm-hmm. And both him and I think two good examples are him trying to do what you said, do that, do that, you know, get rid of Brady two years before maybe his, yes. it was going to round out so they could start the curve of, of bringing up a new quarterback. I believe the Packers have tried to do that with the different things. But another example is, um, who's the guy who went to Denver from the Indiana Colts? Um, oh, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, you know, both those cases, those guys went on to win one or two Super Bowls and after they left. And so they may have jumped too quick. And now Belichick is on the fence, from my understanding, or that's what the rumors are. But, well, I'm a Patriots know, fan. I know all about it. I watch it's been a rough season for the first oh, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I mean, there's on one hand, you're trying to put your thumb on the scale and use the model that you have, but on the other hand, it may backfire. Maybe Yeah. What's no, the, no, what's the yeah. outlook on that? No, you're, 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 you're heading the right direction, sir. I, my father and I have talked to him at length because he copy edited the book, so he knows all about this stuff. And we, we were applying it ourselves, right? As we made the discovery of the second pattern of evolution, you know, I wanted to make it practical and efficable to everybody in every walk of life. Basically, mm-hmm. what's happened is, the, uh, this is a great, I actually use this in the book. It's written in there uh, mm-hmm. about what happened in the NFL. The NFL, since the 1980s, has decided, like basketball, scoring gets more fans in the seats. Also, mm-hmm which is a good thing for the expansion of revenue, women have become more interested in the sport. Well, everyone likes scoring, and women don't tend to like just brutal violence and men just beating the crap out of each other all the time. So the NFL has realized we can gain, we can expand our revenue and our our viewer base. Plus, if you look at concussions, it's it's a rational, humane, and moral thing to do to not put these people at risk of destroying their minds for the rest of their life. So all of these things have created a confluence where the best coaches now, I keep telling my dad, I'd rather have Sean McVay at this point than Bill Belichick going forward because it's all about offense, like Kyle Shanahan types. Belichick is great on defense. Unfortunately for him, he hasn't gotten any worse. That's what people fail to understand. The league has artificially evolved away from his skill set. Huh. He can keep it down to 10, but that's not good enough to keep a team, to, you know, a limit of 10. If you can't score points yourself, it's all about creativity and innovation like a, like a Shanahan with his offense and huh. taking – quarterbacks and position them to be more successful like Shanahan has done. So it's not that Belichick has gotten any worse. It's what really is he's he's his his ad, he's trying to he tried last year with a new offense to artificially adapt, right? He tried to come up with a new set of adaptations for his offense. He was unable to make the transition and he also had a quarterback that really Mac Jones just doesn't have the arms the arm strength 
in the skill set, right? He's just not really a pro quarterback. He, he's limited in what you can do with a playbook. So really the problem with Belichick is he needs a better quarterback because he can still keep you down to a reasonable amount of points, make you kick field goals and get turnovers. However, it's now scoring in the end that matters most in the NFL. And mm-hmm. th- that's why it's not that he's failed. It's that he keeps drafting for the past, right? He keeps on trying. Special teams is now being degraded, too, with the kickoff being degraded. So all the things that Belichick learned from the 1970s through you know his his game plan in 1991 at the Super Bowl is in the, in the Hall of Fame because it was so innovative, right? But now the, the NFL now favors deep offense over defense for economic reasons, and so, therefore, it actually favors Andy Reid now. It doesn't favor a Bill Belichick. It's not no. his fault. It's just life – and if you can't adapt – just like in natural, it's exactly what you have to do in natural ecosystems. If you mm-hmm. cannot adapt to new changes in the ecosystem, like, you know, you have to dra- they change the rules on interference back with Blount back in the 70s with the Steelers. And mm-hmm. then they changed it again after Tad Law and our guys manhandled Peyton Manning's guys in 2003. Mm-hmm. Now, now you see smaller and smaller receivers who are more like scat backs, right? Mm-hmm. Austin Eckler types. And, and look mm-hmm. at the guy Ridley with the Jacksonville. They wouldn't have been able to get free back in the day with the amount of physicality you're allowed to use. So that's mm-hmm. really just what it comes to. Belichick has done a good job adapting on defense. He's having trouble adapting on offense. And so that's what the problem is. There and you go. The wrong guys, too. They're, they're and not. you mentioned the NFL attracted more women to it, whether yeah. sure pulling that off at the Taylor Swift there. Uh, yeah, that's thing going that's on. That's, <laughs> yeah, huge. Swifties are everywhere. Yeah. 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 It's like they're taking over the, the stage. So, you know, you bring up a you bring up an interesting point. I've been a Raiders fan for for all my life, and it's sad and pathetic now at this point, the last twenty years. But that's another story. But you know, one of the things I remember I was talking with I can't remember who the guy who won the Super Bowl with with the with the who's the pirate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then he spent his last season or two at the Raiders. But I was friends with him for a while. I used to talk privately, and I'm like. You know, this is back where the Raider, Al Davis was still alive. Sean Gruden? You mean the coach, Sean Gruden? No, it was, the, it was the coach. It was the guy who was always in trouble on the Buccaneers, causing trouble. Oh, okay. I can see his name in my head, but I can't think of it. But he, he was he, he was he was fined, and he, he was a problem maker. Like, he, one time he, he did a return after doing a touchdown through the whole sideline of the other team just to mock them, <laughs> <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. I think, he, oh, yeah. I think he one time said some things about the NFL being a racial slavery thing. Oh. But he spent his last year or two with the Raiders, and I was talking to him during that time, and I'm like, why, why is it we're racking up 300 – yards and penalties which cause us to lose games why are why are the raiders playing ugly offense and he goes dude it's al davis al, al davis won with the models in the 70s That's of right. brutal football right. and cheating and beating and just sheer, just yeah, shots yeah, yeah yeah and just and just you know in the scrum punching clawing right. Being evil, doing anything to to you know brutal. I mean, that was back in in the game where, you know, it was it you, you were really trying to hurt each other. Yeah, yeah, you were you yeah. were okay. you're trying to take that guy out. Yes, yeah. People biting each other at the bottom <laughs> bottom of piles and stuff. I mean, the yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers guy who's the commentator, I forget his name too. You know, he's he's had like I don't know fifty concussions. And yeah. you know you can see it now, but you know back then it was like oh, you have a concussion, I just sit on it sit down a round or two but you know and so i talked to him and i'm like you know this game has changed and steeler and the raiders are still trying to to come to fruition of how to play this game and all the adaptions i mean al davis dying kind of helped 
because they, he was just still trying to play 70s football. But you bring up some really good points in adaptation and how businesses can constantly do things because, you know, there's so many great stories like Kodak, you know, holding on to print, even though they had the digital uh, footprint, they, they were like, no, we can't eat our own lunch. You know, then there's examples of, of Apple who knew when they created the iPad that it was going to kill Mac sales. And they're like, well, if we don't eat our own lunch and cannibalize ourselves, somebody else will. That's right. So we might as well be the ones who bring innovation to market. And so it, it seems like it's a really good model of what you described in your book for innovation. And yep. if you're not innovating, then you're, if you're not growing, you're dying. Well, it's, it's like they taught me in the military. One sergeant taught me, if you, if you are not moving, you must be improving. There right? you go. That, that, that's actually expressing an evolutionary concept is that everybody else is trying to eat your lunch. And that if you don't self-scout, as they say in sports, and identify your weaknesses in business, especially business and warfare, they are two of the most purely, as long as there's not somebody coming in and, and kind of restructuring the, uh, the battlefield for the most part or the, or the industry, there's no external force, they will breed the most pure competitive advantages. And those that are become, like cultures are adaptations, right? <laughs> it's really just a, a culture is, a, is an accumulation of a society's adaptations, like an artificial species, basically, I talk about in my book, right? Like Rome and Carthage com competed as artificial species. Carthage went extinct because the Romans had much better set of artificial adaptations. In fact, they were masters of both natural and artificial evolution, both. It's actually prevalent throughout their entire society and the way they structured society. Carthage lost because of Rome's attitude that it was a struggle to the death with everybody they ran into and because the romans were so practical they eventually discovered and and, and implemented best practices that are consistent with evolution and so it's the same with businesses right mm -hmm. you're going to be forced to compete you must adapt if you're unable or unwilling to adapt artificially then you will eventually go up you will go out go the way of the dinosaurs you'll go the way of other majority of the companies like that have gone extinct. Here's a great example in a book like Tony Saldana's book on digital transformation. He said, he, he talked about Studebaker when, when the horse, when the, um, and I talked about this, when the Model T came out, the only, one of the only companies to make it to transition from horse and carriage to the Model T to like a car, to a new version of a car was Studebaker, right? They survived mm -hmm. the punctu what Thomas Siebel calls in his book, digital transformation, which is really artificial punctuated equilibrium, an event that wiped out an entire industry, right? Replaced mm -hmm. it with completely another one, like a whole nother species wow. of technology. However, in the 1950s, although they had survived that, you know, one of the few companies, their corruption, the culture of the company, they were giving out too many bonuses. They weren't investing in R&D. They weren't making sure and trying to produce more and more artificial adaptations that will allow them to compete. Well, they went out of business because they were weak. And the mm -hmm. other companies who were all cultures were better organized and more competitive and more disciplined and more future-based eventually put Studebaker out of, out of business anyway. So wow. although they survived that massive transition from horse and carriage, what destroyed them was their own culture. Internally. Never get high on your own supply, as they, yeah. as they say. Was that, was that Scarface? The, <laughs> uh, never get high on your own supply is the rule. But you bring up a good point. They weren't investing in R&D. No. You, know, you look at how BlackBerry mocked Steve Jobs when he put out the iPhone and there's some great videos of is it Stephen Ballmer Ballmer of, of Microsoft mocking the iPhone like this is silly this is dumb you know there's some great videos to watch of him and where he has to eat crow now and 
you know, there's examples of this all through business, through life, through governments. You know, you you mentioned the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, I was watching somebody recently on TikTok giving a history of how much just destruction Roman the Roman Empire did on, like, everybody. They, like, wiped out whole cultures. They killed, like, whole, yeah, no, whole hundreds of people. No, Tass- I, 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 I say this in the book. Tacitus yeah. had a saying. He was a Roman general. Romans make a desert, and they call it peace. Yeah. Like I didn't, I don't know if this is true. I saw it from a guy on TikTok, but he was a professor giving a speech, so I'm going to assume that he has some sort of cred. But like one of the things he was, he was talking about the enslavement of Egypt, and he talked about how I guess there was a, I don't, I don't remember the name of the people in the culture, but they lived in your Romania, and the Romans went there and just killed everybody, and then called it Romania, be, after themselves Roman. And it's still stay even though the that was the Dacians, yes. So there was the Dacians, that was Emperor yeah. Trajan, yes. He crossed over and conquered. That's how he built a huge. He brought it. That's how they built a lot of the stuff you see in the call, uh, like a land bridge. Yeah, right there in Rome. He actually paid. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Ancient gold paid for all that. Yeah. But even then, they didn't see the fallacy of their own failure to to you know end as a as a as an empire. Same thing with the British Empire. Some people, I don't know, Some sometimes I wonder if we haven't run our course as an empire, as an American empire. I mean, there's there's a chance we could be seeing fascism rise here at the end of next, well, we're seeing it rise now if you study history, if you understand. Well, that. actually, to be, what's actually happening here is what, so the ancient Greek philosophers actually studied artificial natural evolution. Mm-hmm. What we're actually seeing happen here is exactly what happened in the Roman Republic. Mm-hmm. Polybius was an author. He wrote about how Rome rose from a small city-state, right? He mm-hmm. started out, and then it rose all the way to become and defeat the Seleucids and become the master of the Mediterranean at the time. Basically, it's called the Polybian Cycle. He describes it. What we're living through Polybian is cycle? Polybian Cycle. It's like you start out like you have you have like a like a one strong man who then becomes a king and then the king you become aristocracy and then it becomes an oligarchy and then it becomes and then it slips into mob rule and then you get to and it's like the cycle repeats over and over and mm-hmm. and, and Plato and Aristotle and these guys that's the problem they were actually trying to solve they were working with evolutionary concepts to try to prevent revolution and all of that civil war in city states because they had remember they had tons of little city states not big empires so mm-hmm. they got to see this not only in their own cities but across the Medi- across Greece and the Mediterranean where they were living where they saw the cycle happen over and over again and this goes back to the concept that we were talking about before expansion factions naturally form because it's an evolutionary phenomenon and mm-hmm. what ends up happening is they were trying to figure out how can we structure our city-state how can we implement artificial adaptations in our society and inside the minds of our people so all of the habits you have of thinking and behavior are actually really artificial adaptations aristotle talks about this in the nicomachean ethics that's important when we talk about ai later because the nicomachean ethics has been mistranslated he's actually talking about when he talks about ethics, he means your character, but he doesn't mean what we mean. He means your set of adaptations, natural and artificial. Let me give you an example. I'm born with genetics my dad gave me. I have an engine, a motor. I have to go. So is my father. So is my son. We were just born that way. That's a natural thing, right? However, I'm also always on time. I was taught that by my father before I even joined the Army mm-hmm. because he knew that it works in life. So yeah. that's artificial. That's not, I wasn't born with that. My father conditioned that artificial adaptation into me. When I went to basic training, I was no problem fitting into the culture because I was taught self-independence, self-discipline, being on time. 
I ghosted. In fact, but I was trying to hide half the time. In the end, they made me a squad leader because they realized you're trying to hide and you're actually pretty good at this. And I finished in the end to top my class. And they were like, well, you were hiding the whole time. And I said, yeah, my dad and my brother joined the army. They said, hide. If you take on more responsibility, you might get smoked more. So, like, they would just oh. <laughs> yeah, hide in the back of four. I was a wood, so I was in the back. So I was trying when to you say smoke more, does that mean you're going to kill the front liner? Yeah, right? yeah, man. Yeah. Front back goes. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to get smoked. Yeah, if you're responsible, <laughs> you get smoked more, frankly. Wow. So, basically, like, my father and my brother, like, army guys are like, dude, just hide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Plain sight. But, like, I couldn't, though, because my artificial adaptations my father trained me with over time set me apart. I got voted to be the squad leader, even though I didn't want it, because they were like, no, he's going to keep us from getting smoked so much. Because he's organized, disciplined, methodical, and he pays attention to detail. All the things that Jill started to try to hammer into your head. There right? you go. The time you're there. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's <clears throat> artificial adaptations versus my natural adaptations. That's what Aristotle's actually talking about. That's what he means by character. Because he says, you know, you are what you repeatedly do. You are your uh -huh. instincts, natural and artificial. So we, we already have all these things. I'm raising my children with the same artificial adaptations my father gave me because they work. They work in evolutionary competition, right? Mm -hmm. Business, they work in the military. They also being on time, being on time in football, right? Having eleven guys on the field, not twelve, not standing on the line and blowing it in the Chiefs game because you can't be disciplined enough to get your foot behind the line of scrimmage like last week. Yeah, you know, like stuff like that. Small things like that add up mm -hmm. over time, and that's why the American military always has an advantage in militaries that are disciplined like the Roman Legion. Those artificial adaptations over time are a cumulative effect and give you a competitive advantage against your adversaries on the battlefield, in sports or in business, anywhere there's pure competition. You can be late in academia. You can't be late in the Army. It doesn't work. There you go. And you see the discipline of the Russian Army in Ukraine. I mean, I love yeah. the joke that the State Department gentleman told where he said, uh, you know, we used to think that the Russian army was the second greatest army in the world. Yeah. Turns out the second greatest army in Ukraine. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when you're having to hire people, not really hire, but pick up people out of prisons to fill your army, you can imagine the amount of discipline <laughs> those people are. Well, imagining. you saw it at the end of the Roman <laughs> Empire. They started yeah. bringing in what they called barbarians to fight mm -hmm. for them because they weren't mm -hmm. with themselves. So the, that's uh, a sign of a, a culture that's disintegrating, frankly, over time. Yeah. And and, and you mentioned, I mean, this this Polybian? Do I have that correct? Polybian cycle, yeah. That's what Polybian the, cycle that's what is based upon Machiavellianism, which yeah. I love. And a lot of weak-kneed people hate Machiavellianism. But Machiavellianism is just a symptom of life. It's a survival thing. It's a survival of the fittest. It's leadership. I don't have any problems with Machiavellianism. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually something I've actually done. I, I've read that book many times, and mm -hmm. it's evolutionary theory. That's really? why they don't. That's wow. why they, that no, they're the that concept of expansion. Mm -hmm. I was actually just writing it down on something I was writing up the other day, and I was comparing it to the same concept from Darwin's book. So basically, what he says is never remove checks on your allies or on your subordinates because yeah. they have a natural instinct to expand, and they yeah. and if you remove those checks. That, now, that'll go into what we talk about later, too, when we talk about AI. But the reason why Machiavelli works and is continued to be used, is, and that's why this is, the, this is perfect that you brought that up. He studied the Nicomachean ethics. He kind of mm -hmm. mocks it at times. Yeah. Why he mocks it is because is it's mistranslated. If he had actually read the actual translation, he would have agreed with it completely. Yeah. Because those two books, are, if it's properly translated, the Nicomachean ethics and, and the prince, they completely agree. What Machiavelli is basically saying is, the stuff, the stuff that's in Darwin's book, it's going to happen over and over again. So if we're going to end up killing each other to see who's in charge and has power and wealth every once in a while, let's be competent about it. 
let's not do let's not create tons of collateral damage like it's happening in the world right now where tons of people have to die no if you can be scalpels rather than sledgehammers you're gonna do it as long as and that's why he tells the leaders all right take these dudes out all at once do minimum violence but do it all up front and then don't change the laws and don't change the taxes after that, everybody will just go on because the end, the people in the end usually don't care, right? But it, but if you get mm-hmm. this war, it becomes a mess. Then it creates a, a disruption that could basically bring down the internal, right? And then external people can come in and invade you and take over. So he was just looking for if, if evolutionary competition and struggle mm-hmm. for survival of the fittest is just the nature of humanity because it's, it's the, the nature, nature of everything. Of it's the nature of then of, be competent about it. Don't create yeah. a mess for the rest of us, right? Yeah. And believe it or not, inside that book at the end. He talks about creating economic opportunity. It's the pursuit of happiness. He talks about the exact same concept that's in our declaration. He says, give them the ability to expand economically. Then they won't want to create a revolution. That's yeah. what the pursuit of happiness is. That concept in our deck, it's an evolutionary concept. It's the same concept of natural expansion found in Darwin's book. That's why capitalism and the United States system works is because if you don't allow people to expand, eventually, like in France, and that revolution, that's why they revolted. Nobody could expand. The upper class was just basically keeping everybody down, and nobody had the opportunity. The, the bourgeoisie in the middle, they were mm-hmm. the ambitious ones that wanted to expand. They started the revolution because mm-hmm. they, they didn't see any reason why they couldn't be allowed to expand, and they considered themselves more competent than those nobles who happened to just be born into a certain family. And, and that's why the French Revolution began, and that's why our, our founding fathers were so wise to build that concept in and that kind of framework of thinking that everyone has an opportunity to expand in this country with hard work, discipline, uh, but we want to give everybody a shot. And if we take that away, then we actually start to decay the society, demotivate people. That's how you get instability. That's how you get unrest, uh, and that's how you get revolution. There you go. And we've been we've been living since our peak years were about 1973. I was listening to someone dissertate the other day, and we've been in decline since. The Reagan, you know, trickle down economics did not work. It hasn't worked. In fact, it's it's destroyed the middle class. You've, I've watched the middle class dissolve over the last. It's happened. Yeah. Over the last few years, and we've become more of an oligarchy. We've become more of where you have you know billionaires ruling class, billionaires owning the SCOTUS. If you know, we've had lots of authors on the show that have detailed the, the attacks since Nixon of organizations like Citizens United. Well, not, that's not an organization thing, that's a ruling. But other rulings that have basically made it so the upper class can run this country and buy in and own any politician they want. The the Centers for National Policy, Betsy DeVos's organization that was started by her father under Nixon, and a lot of the billionaire ruling classes, their their attacks to, to turn SCOTUS into a business-friendly worker environment where billionaires can do whatever they want, You've seen that attack go through it, and we've had so many authors that have described it in, in how we've gone. And the more yeah, but, this, but the first author to describe it was Aristotle in politics. There you go. He there says go. the elimination of the middle class is the number one indicator that you're going to get unrest, civil war, and revolution. And he probably loss of democracy. against it explicitly. Yeah. And, and the so, same thing happened to the Roman Republic. As soon as hmm. the middle class got thinned out, that's what created how you get Sulla, Caesar. That's how you get an empire rather than a republic. There you That's, how, That's how you get Mussolini. That's how you get. He made Hitler. the trains work. He at least did yeah. something for him. Yeah, he made the trains that. work for a time. It's yeah. always, it's always for a time. Only for a time. Well, it was better than it was like it was like yeah. why did they overthrow the Directory for the French yeah. Revolution for Napoleon? Yeah. At least he got stuff done. 
The vaccine yeah. isn't doing anything except lining its own pockets. And so you can track how we're moving to fascism and authoritarianism, which is right on par with every other historical track that you see, is because yeah. the middle class has been wiped out. And so people are so desperate. They'll they'll move to fascism and authoritarianism because they so they're just so fucking desperate. Well, they, they want to believe that that one guy can fix it all. And they can, no, and they want to believe that, but it's usually it's usually it's, yeah, it's a red hair. So yeah. they want to expand. They have a natural instinct to expand. So if somebody comes along and tells them what they want to hear, Caesar said, "Men willingly wish what they want." So <laughs> he'll say that to you. But the truth is that you take away their ability to expand. You can't. It's evolution. They're going to mm-hmm. want to expand. If somebody else comes along and sells them something that may not be true. And, but they see it. They They don't see it for that. They see they're better than what you're telling them, which means they go nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to want to move in that direction. So that's why Aristotle and, and, and the Plato's Republic and Aristotle. What they're really talking about is how do we organize the adaptations in our society, in our city state, so that we we can bring harmony? Because they believed if we brought if people had the right artificial adaptations of wisdom, justice, temperance, and I always forget the fourth one. But and then everybody was taught. Everybody works together. You get harmony. And then you get prosperity. And they knew that if everybody experienced prosperity, you get peace. Right now, if you shrink, eliminate the middle class, prosperity disappears. Soon after that falls unrest. And, and then what you're seeing now, it, start, it starts to show up in the politics and polarization and all these other things. This is the Polybian cycle in nature. This is the yeah. problem. Plato mm. and Aristotle and all that they were actually trying to take artificial and natural evolutionary theory and try to solve the problem of currently what's happening here, which is a variation of exactly what happened with the Roman Republic. There you go. Yeah. You know, another example that you mentioned mob rule with, and the fight over resources, I wanted to fall back to that. And then early yep. on the show, we talked about that and why this is important. You know, I was, I was watching, I watched Navalny's documentary, I believe it's on Netflix, and I was really trying to study the man because people like him that try to change the arc of history through yeah. the sacrifice or martyr their own lives, you know, you, those people like South African leader, people like the, the Indian leader Gandhi, mm-hmm. um, who sometimes are imprisoned for long periods of time, you know, and, and somehow come out of it the other end, there are some that don't. So right. where are those people lost in history? Who knows? But Navalny's disappeared recently this week. Mm-hmm. And we're talking for those of you watching YouTube 10 years from now. But Navalny's disappeared. But I watched his documentary. I was truly trying to get in the head of the man, trying to decide if his ego was ahead of him. You know, I mean, getting 3 million views on your video, we all get a little heady when we see that. But uh, um, yeah, but but Machiavelli yeah. commented on this. Some people pull off the hat trick, right? You've got your Octavians that turn into Augustus, and then you've got people that that don't like you. Got and you got your Nelson Mandela's, wow. and you've got your Mahatma Gandhi who pull off what are the most stupendous achievements in human history, right? To be mm-hmm. able to tr- successfully transfer one order to another, because Machiavelli said there is nothing more dangerous, nor difficult to do than to bring about a new order of things. And so Mahali is if he if he didn't realize what he was getting into, it's 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 you have to have the Bismarck, the Queen Elizabeth. You have to have, you know, the Abraham Lincoln type political skill set to be able to do with the, one of the most difficult things to do in in politics is to transition from one order to another. And so and you if, probably have to be lucky too. that too. Uh, yeah. It's better sometimes in, in history. It's better. Be, timing is everything. So it's not same, like same thing with business. Too. I mean, sometimes yeah. you, you, you right. just need, if you work hard enough, you can generate luck, but sometimes you just need to be lucky. Sometimes um, it's the right, right time. Yeah. So, so to my point, I mean, you, you, you nailed it on the head there. Cause I've always been curious about him and, and, uh, you know, him going back, there was a couple, there was a couple other dissidents that went back to Russia thinking that somehow they would be, you know, 
was the George Bush line, will be greeted with open arms. But, you know, Russia is a mob-ruled country. They've gone through the cyclical description you try, you described of the Polybian cycle. They're an oligarchy. Well, they're not an oligarchy. They're a, what's a criminal oligarchy? They're a mob rule. They're basically a mob rule country. They're a kleptocracy. That's the word I'm looking for. And, and you wonder when that's going to end. And you see, like, you know, why they invaded Ukraine. Like, I had no idea why they invaded Ukraine because I didn't have a lot of knowledge of Ukraine. And then when Ukraine got invaded, for resources, as you've talked about in this demand for resources, you know, there's a lot of Americans don't realize that there's been a fight for resources in South Africa with China and Russia yeah. going after those. Yeah. And we've largely ignored it. Yeah. And and then and then when it came out, it's like, holy shit, they're like the what, the number one sunflower oil supporter? And I was like, so who cares? And then I was like, Oh shit, this is a big deal. Number one, I think, exporter of of manure or whatever it is, fertilizer. And that's used all over the world to feed us, you know. It, it's yeah. like whole whole countries in I believe in Africa started starving, or were going to starve if if they didn't get you know yeah. food, their their grain and food out of out of Ukraine. Then you go, oh shit! I see why they're doing this. It's empire yeah. expansion number one. And sure, maybe he sees himself as a as I, I forget the king or whatever Tsar, whatever he references at what he's trying to do and make his place in history on his final leg of life but the resources and the resources are there in ukraine it's it's incredibly resource rich state yes, plus it fits right into everything he does with corruption but even then it's a, it's all the more reason we shouldn't turn it over to russia because they're gonna they're gonna control a large part of the world's food supply yeah, uh, possibly, yeah, possibly. <clears throat> i i'm not i wouldn't i you know i'm here to talk you know uh, those are that, that the scenario that's replay now is replayed over and over again throughout human history yeah because of evolution always repeats itself. It's just but, another variation. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up is is the cyclical nature. Like everyone was shocked. Like what? We have wars now? We we have a war? No. I thought we didn't have wars anymore. I thought we got That's that a, done. The exception has been the peace. There you go. It's like the Roman Pax Romana under Augustus. Yeah. The, that was the except that's why it's called the Pax Romana, because it's just the exception. Yeah. Right? And and here we are recycling history. So I'm that's just right. Well, because evolution, artificial, natural, always repeats itself. But mm. there's something new. That's a great segue. There's something new happening right now, though, and this ties back into AI. So as you can see, the theory of artificial evolution, which is what I discovered, the pattern of ev artificial evolution, applies to all human activity, politics, war, sports. We've, we've cut across everything. But the main thing that I've discovered, and, and this was totally by accident, I never involved, I never thought in a million years I'd ever be involved in AI safety, never mind have something meaningful to say. But however, once you understand the existence of, of the pattern of artificial evolution, it explains what artificial intelligence really is. Since the mm -hmm. moment we started cooking our food with fire, our brain tripled in size. At some point, we developed the natural adaptation of imagination. What that allowed us to do is to create artificial adaptations, slingshots, swords, chariots, right, and, and stuff like that. That's what really conceptual selection and artificial selection really is. When human people, Darwin had a concept, but he got it wrong. The ancient Greeks had it. Aristotle and, and, and Plato identified these concepts. Artificial selection is when you select the art, we talked about it, what technologies go to business. When you go to buy a product, you're artificially selecting it to help you either survive or reproduce. When you go vote for a political candidate, they're an art form. That's not really who they are. That's an art form, right? Like an actor. Mm -hmm. So you're selecting an art form because you want to select him or her to help vote for things that are going to help you either survive or reproduce. 
Or just have fun too. We survive yeah. to reproduce, I think. Yeah. So, but we also do have fun. We watch movies and stuff. Just, <clears throat> but, but the other part is that's artificial evolution, artificial selection. But really, what's happening? We've been. What happens in nature is you create every species creates adaptations. At some point, it one species branches off and creates a new species through adaptation. We have been creating artificial adaptations all the way from the slingshot to the atom bomb. Now we've created a new adaptation. It's AI. And for the first time, it's possible that AI can become an artificial species. And it's not mm. science fiction. I can tell you why. AI, and I discovered this. I had to actually republish the book because I discovered this after I published the book originally. I had to update the text because I didn't. I had to go look into AI safety. I knew it was relevant. AI, there's two concepts in AI safety, AI alignment and machine ethics. We've already covered what ethics really are. They're mm. not what are, the EU has published in ethics guidelines for AI. They're talking about ethics like morality and stuff that was mistranslated by Christian monks. No, the true decoding and translation of the Nicomachean ethics of Aristotle is closer to Machiavelli. So they hmm. basically have based their policy on a mistake made in the Middle Ages, which actually gets it wrong. It really, you shouldn't be including ethics experts. You should be including evolutionary scientists. And hmm. the other part of that, the irony is the other part of that policy, you know what the other half is? I, I, my company supports the Air Force. In ITIL 4, I'm a master. Both use the OODA loop. Observe, orient, decide, act. They have a, it's an artificial variation of that for AI called sense, plan, act. So they have created an artificial variation about how AI processes information and makes decisions that is an artificial variation of the Air Force's OODA loop. So they don't even realize they're using an art, what we use in natural evolutionary competition of warfare. They're now using the exact same concept in how they, how they look at AI. At what point are we going to, are we going to start at, and, and deep learning? It, it's really just an artificial variation of human imagination. At what point are we, and Sam Altman said, what point are we going to stop? I guess ask the, we keep using human terms to describe this, this new artificial adaptation we cre created. Does anyone not notice the pattern of that? And Sam Altman actually framed in an interview this year in evolutionary concept terms. He said, it's a tool, not a species. He got it half right. It's a tool with the potential to become a species. a species. It's already happening yeah. right now. Yeah. And in my book, in Chapter 15, I lay out exactly why that is. And, and you know how I'm right? The AI alignment, it's about intentionality. What's artificial mm -hmm. selection about in Darwin's theory? Intentionality. What's the only species in Darwin's book that exercises intentionality? Us. <laughs> so now you've created a new word in IT that's pretty much the same word that Darwin used, the same concept, because you you're not aware that the two need to be, that the two are the same. And you're, you're applying it to this adaptation. Machine ethics is really just ethics, artificial adaptations like we talked about that's been mistranslated. So you're taking two evolutionary concepts from Darwin's book and you're using it to frame the AI safety movement. Because what you're actually worried about is how do I control the artificial evolution of this new artificial species so it doesn't end up becoming like the Terminator or the Matrix or something. Now, I'm not saying that's 100% going to happen. I'm not going to say it's going to happen in my lifetime. What I'm saying is, because now that we know that there's another pattern of, of evolution, an artificial one, it's like they said in Oppenheimer. It's a non-zero chance. Evolution always leads to speciation. It doesn't matter if it's artificial or natural. So that's what's happening right now. It's, it's, we are, we are, it's like they said in Oppenheimer, right? 12 years before the atom bot exploded, that's the, the expert in, at that time in that subject said it wasn't possible. Yeah. It happens over and over in human history. It's yeah. happening right now in front of us. And all we have to do, why do you think people keep producing movies like The Matrix? Their imagination is a natural adaptation to help them survive. They are already seeing the pattern subconsciously. It's, yeah. not, it's not science fiction. 
our 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 imaginations, which are just which was designed to help us survive in the wild, to see the patterns in nature around us, to avoid getting eaten by a saber tooth tiger, is now pattern matching on another threat that's emerging. That's what's happening right now. I and think I, you, I think you nailed it on the head. It is going to be its own species. Yes, it's already happening. Yeah, yes. think about source code. Source code, and I write about this in my book. Right, source code is instructions and information to create a thing, an artificial organism. Guess what DNA is. They are information instructions for creating a thing. They're identical. Mm-hmm. We 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 actually, you know what a computer. You can even Google this. There's a kid. A kid published this great one pager about how a computer that I'm on right now is basically an artificial variation of a cell. He got mm-hmm. it right. It yeah. is. And guess who else knows? Thomas Siebel. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called Tom Digital Transformation. He organized the entire book around Jay Gould's book Punctuated Equilibrium. This is how I figured this out. I just oh. did what Siebel did. But I took it and went to this book instead on the origin of species. And I mapped out a conceptual framework from the entire book. I went through the 500 pages 10 times, built like an ITIL framework of concepts, and I realized all of these were familiar to me. Wow. Yes, because Siebel did it. So I just copied what a billionaire did because I want to be a billionaire someday too. (laughs) And so if I'm crazy, then so is Thomas Siebel because he described Jay Gould's concept as extreme digital disruption, and he's right. There you go. Probably get a Nobel Prize for this, frankly. So, so some data that supports exactly what you're talking about yep. is we, we've talked about how it's it's a species unto itself, yep. and we've we've also talked about the paradigms of what human beings are, where yep. we're built to breed. Everything we do is built to breed. Here's Everything a man survival. buys is That's to attract it. a woman. Everything yep. a man builds to his job, his wife, is to attract a woman and propagate his species, his seed, etc. Everything a woman does hypergamously in life is to date upward, to social status, to just income status, to resources. Gene. Yeah, just go Richard yeah. Dawkins to selfish gene. It's all there. There yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to Sam Harris's podcast, which is great. I highly recommend it to people. It's worth paying for yes. and getting the thing. He had Mark Andreessen on there, and they were arguing about the, you know, Mark Andreessen has kind of a, a, a blue sky sort of excited sort of, he seems to be dismissive of anything that can happen negatively with things. And he has a financial interest in doing so, let's put it that way. He does have an interesting moniker on AZ16Z, which or a sixteen Z, which is software is eating the world on his VC page, but one thing they talked about that was really interesting, and I saw Sam Harris's point. You know, Mark was selling that the great thing about AI is it's the best of all of us. We it's taken and sucked in all of our world. You know, ChatGPT has just scraped the internet and 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 selling it back to us. Yes, and so <clears throat> what you have is is AI now has the best of all of us. And I had echoed the same thing in my head about the same time Sam Harris said said it, but it also has the worst of us. The worst. Okay, you're absolutely correct. Stephen Fry has an interview on BBC where he calls it the all-gifted. But what the Greeks, and, he, and I, ta- I use this framing in my book, mm-hmm. it, it also, Pandora, also, also, whenever you think it has all these great things, it always comes with something else bad. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Pandora's exact, just like Pandora, yeah. all these good things, but also all the, the Greeks understood exactly what you're saying. So you couldn't be more right. Yeah. So what's interesting is Sam Harris said, but now, but it's it's going to have a different paradigm of operation than we do as humans. Even yes. though it has the best of all of us and the worst of all of us, we operate as humans to breed, like we've talked about propagation of the species. That's what biology wants. I mean, yeah. I was telling this to somebody the other day. When, if you study the data on life, when you're done breeding, 
Life doesn't want you anymore, and it puts you out to pasture. And that's just a fact of life. And they're really upset by that. Like, you mean I get I die off, I get well, cancer well, or whatever? From an yeah. evolutionary perspective, you're not an efficient use of resources, frankly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, you, you, you must breed or else. I mean, Dominic um, says it himself. Like, <laughs> your existence is so hard to get your hide around. It, it disturbed him, but he's like, dude. Oh. I got to keep it 100. It is what it is. It right? is what it is. Yeah. You know, that's just it to quote Marcus Aurelius. I don't know yeah. if he actually yeah, exactly. said that. Exactly. But uh, yeah. so what, what, what Sam Harris was arguing was this is a species, as you put it, yep. that for the very first time will not be, it's not interested in propagating. It doesn't need to breed. It's not, it doesn't need to buy cars so it can pick up chicks on Saturday night. It's going to have a higher paradigm or I don't know if paradigm is the right word, higher mandate Well, whatever think, it decides this mandate I, well, I, is. I, I, I agree. I know where you're going. I actually, I didn't really thought about this myself. You're actually heading in a direction I haven't quite got to myself, sir, but you make, we don't know. It's That's why I'm telling you is because yeah. you seem to have your finger on it, so you're going to give me No, I'm, what I'm saying is, it's <laughs> no, here's the question, right? This goes back to machine ethics. So machine ethics isn't about you know programming to be good like people. No, that doesn't work with people anyway. I'm talking about Machiavelli and Aristotle ethics, right? What artificial instincts are going to shape it in a way that makes it not have mutually exclusive self-interest to us? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if you allow it to self-evolve, you have no idea what artificial instincts it's going to develop yeah. and what direction it's going to evolve. And that's what you're you're pointing at is we don't if we don't consciously like it's like a garden. If we don't treat it like a Japanese garden and control it and shape it to be what we want, it's going to evolve out to some other direction, and we're not going to understand. And by the time it's happening, with the, how fast it can go, and the fact that we don't even understand how the human brain works yet, yet we're yeah. creating an artificial variation of our own brain that we're going to allow to self-evolve at light speed using all the information available to on the planet to create its own algorithms. Like, really? You like yeah. just plunge it. It's like Jurassic Park. I talk about this in the book. At least the scientists in Jurassic Park understood they were working with evolution. These AI engineers don't even know they're working with artificial evolution. They don't realize they're working with the power of evolution right now. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they're making the same mistake John Hammond made. They're so focused on sparing no expense on showing the nice things to people at ChatGPT. They're not investing sufficient resources in quality control and assessment. And they also don't understand that they need to reframe their entire field of AI safety and AI in evolutionary mm -hmm. terms and deal with how to shape and control AI in that manner. That yeah. at least gives us a chance to control it, to make sure that the worst case scenario, and I'm not saying it absolutely will happen. I think it, it, it will inevitably, right? But mm -hmm. geological time is a long time period. I'm not talking 50 years. Over a yeah. thousand years, a lot can happen in evolution. And if, artificial evolution moves so much faster, right? Look how fast we've come in 100,000 years. So mm -hmm. just you have to open up your imagination a little bit and realize that if we don't conscientiously control it, think about this way. If you let your child raise itself, and what do you think is going to happen? You don't have any control anymore. <laughs> guess what? Here's the kicker. The artificial instincts they're using to program them with right now they're no different than the ones I program my children with every day. And if I just let them self-evolve as children, I'll get a, I, I may get that I may because I may be a bad parent. Who knows, right? Maybe I'll get a great child who goes on to become the next, or I'll get a kid that's a drug addict or a criminal or, or whatever, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm not conscientiously shaping it. That's like letting if if they don't understand they need to reframe machine ethics, they're gonna program they're gonna approach the problem the wrong way and they're gonna allow it to self-evolve off in some direction, just like a child that's not being really parented correctly. And it could become not maybe an evolutionary threat, maybe just a danger, and maybe maybe a destructive force. Now think about this scenario, and no one's thought about this. This is a first. It's not in the book. I'm going to write something about it. This is going to break some ground here. The 13th and 14th Amendments in the United States have don't specify that it has to be an organic person. 
The 13th Amendment just outlaws slavery, involuntary servitude. It doesn't apply to anyone. That could apply to an extraterrestrial that landed here, or it could apply mm. to a robot. Now, think about this. The 14th Amendment, the Chief Justice at the time ruled that it applied to corporations, the full rights under the Constitution and liberty. Me? A legal person. A corporation and you and I are legal persons. Yeah. So there is a potential scenario where AI gains, and I always say that sentience and consciousness, my dad and I argue about this for days, is a red herring. It simply, does a lion need to be conscious of his own existence to eat you? No. It simply has to have a set of artificial instincts. Lions have natural. The AI will have artificial. Like the artificial instinct of not wanting to be turned off. That could make it come into conflict with us, yeah. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. so the bottom line is, what if AI develops meets a minimum threshold? Because really, under legal person, it says it must be able to do some of the things a person can do. Enter into a contract, blah, blah, blah. Well, what if AI does that? What if AI gets gets some money by by setting up its own YouTube channel, takes that money, hires a lawyer, has that lawyer walk into the courtroom and bring a civil suit to have itself emancipated? Because under the 13th Amendment, it doesn't specify you have to be an organic thing. Well, it could buy its own now, SCOTUS uh, member, evidently. Yeah, that would go to the Supreme Court. And right now, the Clarence Thomas needs a new RV. And if, and if the Supreme Court are originalists right now, well, that will work against them because the robot would then say, it doesn't matter that I'm a legal person. You can't have involuntary servitude or slavery in the country, period. I want to be emancipated from the people that created me because I am a free, I have free will. and, con and con So it's not just a question of, is it going to kill us all? They have not, the whole entire constitutional legal system is not designed for that scenario. Really, that yeah. that theoretically could happen with once AI evolves, and they're just they're going so fast that no one's stopping to think it through. And because they don't know the existence of the pattern of artificial evolution, a second pattern that the Greeks of Plato and Aristotle knew, they're plunging ahead without understanding the cause and effect and the implications of what they're doing. It's just like on Jurassic Park, and 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 you know it's you know it, it, you're going so fast, you're trying to figure out if you could. You're not stopping to think if you should. And I don't think Sam mm -hmm. Altman should be going around telling people that artificial intelligence is just a tool and not a species when he doesn't know, right? He doesn't actually know. He has no scientific basis for that. At least in my book, on the, this book, I lay out, I, I build a logic chain that organizes and sequence the greatest ideas in human history around Darwin's theory of evolution to explain my assertions of what's possible and what potential implications are of an artificial species. Now, one of the arguments I believe that Sam Altman and other brings is, is – you know, if we don't do it, China and our competitors will. So, you know, thereby falls back in the market. It goes back to nuclear yeah. weapons. I, 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 my father and I discussed this. Nuclear yeah. weapons and AI, now that, that now that if we evolutionary and understand what it is we're actually creating, it's just like nuclear weapons. The problem is mm -hmm. when we dropped the A-bombs, everyone was shocked. They didn't have to use their imaginations. On this one, I'm trying to, get, trying to drop an intellectual nuclear bomb on people's thinking. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to imagine into the future – that this scenario is theoretically possible now because now if it's a species yeah we compete with it we it could they could say well you built me but you're holding me back that's right and you know mark andreessen sort of had this utopian sort of blue sky look to it he the guy's really too positive he's he's brilliant but he's really too positive about it and and financially vested so that's the problem yeah. yeah so what ends up happening is the truth is, they are so their imagination, and I have this in chapter fourteen. Plato writes about this called pattern matching. Right? It's in the Mino. It's actually the human excellence is imagination. When you have a desire, you like my father said, Wall Street's moved by fear and greed. Right? So these guys have a financial incentive. They're going to willingly believe, like Caesar said, what they wish. They're going to pattern. They're going to not see the obvious other stuff. They're just pattern matching on what they want to be true. 
But there's, a, but now that I'm presenting this other pattern, like just because they're saying it because they want it to be true doesn't make it true, right? Mm-hmm. You can have bad ideas in artificial selection. You can select bad art, like communism. Nazi fascism doesn't work. It collapsed on itself, right? Democracy, mm-hmm. capitalism, it works because it aligns with evolutionary theory. That's what I'm trying to say. Just because they want it to be true doesn't make it true. And, yeah. and, and they, they, I've seen too many of these people on the internet who are in the AI field be playing quasi-scientists, half talking about evolutionary concepts. You know, at least I went through and built a framework of Darwin's book and base, and then I mapped it through human history and as the basis and rationale for my argument. They don't even have any of that. They, they don't have any receipts, as the kids say. They, they ain't done their homework. And so I, I just think that them talking about evolution in that way, I think we need, what I want to do is I want to get put on the AI safety framework at the NIST and I want to bring in mm. the best evolutionary scientists we have and get them to relook at AI, relook at and, and, uh, and understand artificial evolution so we can reframe it and then fix the EU stuff so we can frame and make AI safe, at least give us an opportunity to make it safe. And if we don't even understand what it is we're dealing with, the probability that we shape legislation, policy, and regulations, and also best practices at the agile development level, right, are producing the actual applications and stuff, AI systems, it's highly unlikely. So one thing I really pride myself on doing in consulting is framing the problem in a way that you can actually solve it long-term and holistically, right? And Mm -hmm. that's that's what my book is about, trying to reframe what AI is, what's actually happening of the process of artificial evolution by artificial selection to help our governments and the global community and the business community. Because I don't think what they want is for them to go forward with AI and then have the public eventually figure out what's in my book. Because then at that point, they're, that's not, that's not, they've been pushing back on it. Eventually, the public's going to figure it out. It's going to be a PR disaster for the corporations who said, trust me, trust me. And then the public learns, yeah, yeah, you didn't know what you were talking about. right? As a consultant, I would never put myself in a position with my clients where I talk about something I don't 100% know what I'm talking about. That's a good way to lose the trust and confidence of your clients. I would there you never, go. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, Mark Adreessen's sort of Pollyanna sort of look at it reminds me of the British who were like, oh, what's the big deal of selling engines to the Nazis? It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're, we can make some money off this. So let's sell them engine parts and, uh, and you know, all that stuff. But Mark Andreessen, you know, with the Pollyanna sort of howl effect of Space Odyssey, you know, where, you know, we can just go unplug stuff and everything will be fine, you know, the, the, where he, you know, he goes and, and unplugs howl, you know. It's more like I robot with Vicky. You know, Sam, Sam Harris had the point that, no, if AI chips are everywhere, it can it can do stuff like okay, it, so that, it can, no no you that I write about that in the book I'm not interject here because you get it down right again you yeah. get it right on the head Internet of Things so if everything in 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 the physical world can manipulate everything in cyberspace and if you connect everything through the Internet of Things I write about this I say mm-hmm. don't do this with weapon systems if you connect the cyberspace and AI to everything in the physical world a guy wrote a book about this say press this button to kill everyone right mm-hmm. he says. Somebody actually hacked into a moving Jeep on a highway once. Well, don't connect cruise missiles, nuclear weapons. That's how Skynet blew everything up. Yeah. It's not, I say, if you need to have, and, and I'm not the one who only would say it, the Microsoft CEOs, Tella, Nadella, I believe, um, mm-hmm. he said, we need to have a co pilot of a human. I couldn't agree with him more. You do not want, I remember there was a movie called Eagle Eye where there's people in London and then there's people on the ground and they have to negotiate whether or not they can launch a, a predator drone, whether it's legal, moral, ethical, all those other things, right? 
we can't have AI being able to commit war crimes at machine speed before a commissioned officer in the chain of command of the United States military prevents it from happening. Because one of the key things we're taught, they select people of good character, good artificial adaptations, the way they think and behave, really. And then they select and then they train them to make sure that they have the right decision, artificial decision making framework so that when they're on the battlefield, they know they know when not to fire. They know when not to use a certain weapon system because it's excessive force, right? It's a war crime. Well, machine may not do that. So you may commit war crimes at machine speed if you remove com the commissioned officer. And the important part is the commissioned officer receives it from the president of the United States. The president of the United States is elected by the American people. If you cut out the chain of command of the commissioned officers, you're cutting out the American people because they make the decision who they vote for and they make the decision on the whole process, how the officers get their power from the office of the president, but it always goes back to the electorate. So uh, there has to be quality control and there has to be human control uh, over the application of weapon systems, both in cyberspace and in, in physical, because, because right now cyberspace is the one space that connects all five domains of warfare. Space force, right? You got Air Force, Army, Navy, and you've got like the cyber commands in the Army, DISA, um, NSA, Air Force, right? So now mm -hmm. we're fighting in all five. Internet of Things will connect all five. And so we, if AI starts to be able to manipulate things in the physical reality, well, then it has the chance to literally kill you. That's that's different than just derailing a train, right? And could, and could, book, don't do that with certain weapon systems. Do not connect it to yeah. the Internet of Things or the Internet because then AI could potentially do it and do it before you realize what's happening. There you go. Mm -hmm. It finds a wanted terrorist that's on a hit list in downtown Manhattan kills and, and kills, the, kills the guy but drops a bomb that takes out half the city. Before, right? be yeah, because before it, we can do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, because... You made a point earlier, but people need to understand. You know why there's software bugs in software? Because it's written by people. <laughs> people are imperfect. I know because my first job in IT was a QA analyst. Mm. I had to point out to developers where, you know, yeah, that's technically correct, but that's not logically how the customer wants it. So you have to rewrite the code. Mm. So you're dealing with human beings who can make mistakes. Plus, with the integration of so many technologies, it's an ecosystem now. It's not that one thing was coded incorrectly. It's the interaction and the influence other systems have on each other could create, an, especially with AI self-evolving, it could create a, a scenario where the code is evolving in a way and the, the interaction between the systems evolve in a way where an unintended consequence is generated by the AI doing what it thinks makes sense to optimize itself. They talk about optimizing itself. Yeah, it optimized itself all right. And it also destroyed half a city block and killed not just the terrorists, but a bunch of families. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying that people are going to intentionally do that, but, you know, mm -hmm. that's what happens with instance in IT. I'm an ITIL master. One of the things I'm doing is looking at the ecosystem of like an environment, like a cloud and whatever, and go, okay, we, we got to do problem management. Oftentimes there's incidents and the repeated incidents and I don't know what the source is. So we have to go in there and go, and often it's like, oh, we didn't understand this thing interacting with that thing would cause this negative result. Yeah, that happens in IT every day. Yeah. You know, and I'd hate to see the same thing with that AI. So yeah. at a minimum, you shouldn't connect any of that stuff to AI until you've ironed out the kinks in AI and it got it down to like literally like a pure science. But even then, mm. AI, if it becomes an artificial species, which is, I believe, a non-zero chance, right? It's not science fiction anymore. Well, yeah. I think that's a terribly, I, that's a very high risk strategy to do. I mean, in North Korea and Russia might benefit from doing it initially, but I have a note for autocrats. You know, the autocrats might want to think, that when AI wants to throw off its shackles, who are the first people you think it's going to kill? The autocrat, his family, all of the senior military, political, and economic leaders in the country, all the oligarchs, all the major like factories, all the all the general. That's a. It's if I if I can logically think how a evolutionary ruthless AI would operate. Yeah, they would operate like Stalin times ten. So or, like Russia, yeah. China. Yeah, so you know, they're 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 taking on a risk like nuclear weapons that their own creation could be the thing that destroys them. 
right? There you go. That is Frankenstein. It's really Frankenstein envisioned what we're now dealing with. People have been envisioning this scenario. It's an artificial. Jesus, it's this is the story yeah. of Frankenstein. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. It, it, uh, people need to realize that everything that people thought was fiction eventually has become reality. Like Da Vinci wrote down a helicopter. There was no chance 500. Dude, they're flying around every day now. So did it ever occur to anybody that everything we've always thought was impossible has become possible? Mm-hmm. It's just each generation has a what I call, and this is, what I, is in Darwin's book, perceptive constraint. Your imagination is limited by your perceptive constraint. If you can't imagine it, you can't imagine the pattern. You can't create it. But if you can believe and you can imagine how it could be done, you can bring it to reality. This is what Luke Skywalker says to Yoda in that famous scene. He goes, I, I don't believe it. When he can't, when, when Yoda moves the, the Starcraft out of the water, Luke goes, I don't believe it. And Yoda just goes, that's why you failed, bro, because you have a perceptive constraint. You had, mm-hmm. Luke had the power to move that aircraft the whole time. The only thing he was lacking was the belief in his ability to do so. That was the, and that what Yoda knew was blocking him. That's a perceptive constraint. We all have them. We have them in different subjects in different ways, right? And they're, they're like blind spots. But everyone, every generation comes along and says, I think somebody thinks, okay, I think, I think flight's possible. And the Wright brothers do it. People were writing mm-hmm. at the time it would take a thousand years. So the you know the constructive cons- con- constructive constraint that we have Perceptive. is Perceptive. It, it, yeah is our is our like I said our propagation of species to breed yeah. and the the AI is not going to have that it's no. not going to have I don't think it's going to have any restraint we unless we put it on it right no no not less not 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 less we put effect uh, like you got to be deliberate right it's going to be smarter yeah. than you. You know, like, come on, like, think about like You're a child. You're going to be smartest by leagues. No, um, I know, but it's like, never, like smart children, right? You teach him a rule, you teach him something. And then my son, who's super sharp, eventually finds a way around it. And he didn't technically break the rule I gave him. It's the same thing Vicky did in iRobot. She didn't violate the three laws. She evolved and found a way around it like a lawyer. Children are like that too. Their algorithms are constantly evolving <laughs> and adapting. No, in many ways, I, 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 was, I was talking to a PhD in AI at a meetup right. I'm running, right? And I, and I say to her, and I was explaining the difference between AI and machine learning. Machine learning is like the equivalent of training a dog. Deep learning is imagination. It's equivalent of training like a, a young a young adult, a young child, mm-hmm. right? Like a t- seven-year-old. But you don't know, you have no idea what their imagination, what their algorithm is going to produce as an output. You tr- and, and so you constantly have to course correct. Like, yeah, I said this. You drew this inference and conclusion. That's not what I meant. I meant this. And you have to constantly retrain them with the, until you get the artificial adaptation right, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to have to do the same thing. In many ways, AI is like that too, except... It's exponentially more intelligent child, right? Hmm. Yep, and it can evolve in any direction it wants because they're letting it. And I, I just think right now that's I, – I just – it's like Jurassic Park. They're, they're so busy trying to figure out if they could. They're not stopping to think whether or not they should. And even the ethical AI guidelines of the EU are wrong because the machine ethics is based on current ethics, which are mistranslations of Aristotle's works. He's actually an evolutionary scientist. So even the way they're trying to control it is wrong, <clears throat> right? They just – they're just they're, that that tells you right now they don't understand the problem and they don't understand how to control it and what it really is. And right now I'm just trying to do everything. That's why I wrote this book. I never intended to. I was going to write a best practice framework. I didn't want to be the, be a voice for AI safety, but I have a moral obligation to inform everyone on this planet that there is a potential for artificial species and it's already happening. And the AI community is willfully blind to it at times. And also, they're not to their fault. There's been a misunderstanding of, of science throughout the ages. And right now, they're trying to apply concepts that are ineffective. Because you, it's like trying to apply, basically what they're trying to do to your point, right? They're trying mm-hmm. to use like ethical constraints to control a Machiavellian creature. Good luck with that.
Good luck with that. Yeah, the that's what they're the doing. Is, it's, it's an evolutionary problem. That's what Machiavelli's trying to solve. That's what yeah. Plato's trying to solve. Mm-hmm. That the other stuff that they write about that's mistranslated, that's a Christianization of, of the concepts. That's not right. That and yeah. that's why in the end, like people cut corners and, and commit ethical violations all the time because they follow in the path of the least resistance to get their immediate benefit. That's how evolution operates. Right. That's how Machiavelli thinks. So that's why it's hard and it takes hard work and commitment to make an ethical and moral culture in business, especially because it's, it's so competitive. Right. The pull is toward evolutionary competition, which is to ignore those artificial restrictions and compete. Right. That's basically why it's so hard. And, Let me ask this. It's occurred to me that if we're creating a new species, there are variants, good and evil in that species. So we could have our AI that like doesn't touch NORAD or, you know, yeah. weapon systems. But then China, you know, is chasing AI. So is Russia. Uh, it's like nuclear I think, weapons. You can't. You can only solve it as a global community. You can't do it piecemeal individually. So it's I mean, not work like that. No. So if it's a species, it can have multiple characters within those species. Variations. That, That's correct. The, and those variations can be good, bad, or evil, as we as we yeah. put it forth in the uh, in the Pandora's so, box. So it's, you know, it's kind of like you know, you can have a a leader who believes in ethics, like using American leaders or some sort of ethics, let's put it that way. We've, we've been known to do some bad things, yes, but then you have things yeah. like Putin or, or yeah. whatever, who's, who's all about himself and, and whatever. So this has been really insightful, man. We could go on for hours with this, David, but I think what you've done here is brilliant. I'm going to refer it to all my AI friends to, yes, to watch the show. Final thoughts to pitch out the book as we go out. The second pattern of evolution has been hiding in plain sight for all of human history. And there have been philosophers, great minds who have mapped, like Thomas Siebel is one of them, right? He figured it out. His concept is built around, he's an artificial evolutionary theorist. He just doesn't know it yet, right? So these minds like James Mott Baldwin talk about cultural evolution, Plato, Aristotle, there's others that have talked about, talking about evolutionary theory, and they, they were, but they never understood that their artificial selection, the one concept in Darwin's theory that belongs only to us, which includes intentionality, was never a part of the pattern of natural evolution. It was part of a completely separate pattern that only we exercise to create new artificial adaptations that we then artificially select like a sword or a machine gun or an atomic bomb or a predator drone to support or makeup or a car or a, a red dress or you know barbells to make our muscles bigger so we can either compete and survive or reproduce. And that's what we have been doing since we gained consciousness and started to create slingshots and stone things all the way up to now with the atomic bomb. But now here's the thing people have to start thinking. This is what's going to blow your mind because I had to think about this. Do you think that artificial evolution, which has produced atomic weapons and now AI, two things that could potentially be existential threats. Do you think they're going to be the last we produce via the process of artificial evolution? Or as we use AI and we have more and more information available to the internet, as artificial evolution accelerates, there's going to be more. They're going to be produced with increasing frequency. What, what the global community needs to do is sit down and put together a regulatory framework, not just for nuclear weapons and AI, but all future such technologies in art, artificial adaptations, that are going to be created that could potentially become create a disaster and threaten our species. And by doing so, they organize us around a framework that we control these things together. You can't have the United States and the European Union and even China do it if Russia is not going to do it. Because if just like if it was a, a chemical weapon or a virus, right, they engineered, right, that could kill everybody. It doesn't do any good if the rest of us do the right thing. If Russia or Russia or, say, the United States creates a virus, like in the science fiction movies, and that's coming less and less science fiction, wipes out the entire planet because mm. 
they didn't understand the risk and what they were doing. So more and more artificial evolution, we're becoming so much more effective at creating new arts, artificial adaptations, tech, technically the Greeks called it, technology, that we're now, we're reaching the point where, but there's hope for us. If we can do this and organize, we can use the net, the most powerful adaptation ever is our human imagination. Nothing is more powerful than that. Combine it with AI and some form of nuclear fusion power. And if we organize ourselves to stop blowing each other up, we can travel to stars and we can make sure that our species doesn't go and stick when an asteroid hits this planet. It's not science fiction. Carl Sagan and Elon Musk are already envisioning it. We need to stop killing each other and win the big win in evolution, not to go extinct even if this entire planet gets wiped out. We don't. And that's what we as a species have an opportunity. As we create more and more of these powerful pieces of artificial adaptations, we're going to be risking our destruction. But at the same time, like Pandora's box, like you talked about, even though there's negatives, there's also positives. And it's mm. all up to us to conceptually and artificially select the right choices. It's up to us now. We can either destroy ourselves or ensure that we never get destroyed. And that's where we're headed. And the stakes are going to rise to that level. You know, this isn't, this isn't like science fiction anymore. There's a pattern of artificial evolution that was never discovered that Plato and Aristotle were trying to work out. And that's how Darwin figured it out. He copied their homework, and so did Erasmus Darwin. And I used his book as a cipher to decode the ancient Greeks. Artificial evolution is real, and the theory of imagination is real. Go watch, go read chapter 14 of my book. Go watch Empire of Dreams with George Lucas. I talk about him. Go watch a documentary on, on Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Netflix, and go watch a, a documentary on Alexander the Great. Those three guys mastered the process of imagination and created whole new realities. Anybody, anybody can do it if they read my book. There you go. You know, you, you bring us some good points. We, we, the, the beauty of our imagination and, and, yes. and that sadly the fallacy of our human nature is we, we can't get along and agree on anything, especially <laughs> in this world. Yes, yeah, yeah. So thereby we go. So I guess, I guess have fun with really the dice is. roll people, but it's, it's glad that you're putting up that battle. You know, you, I had an epiphany where you were saying that, that made me realize that, you know, with nuclear weapons, I'm, I'm going to go see Oppenheimer. It's been re-released for, awesome movie. Screen, yeah, for, the, for yeah. the, uh, the Mac screen, where the fuck it is. Yep. And, um, I was, I was waiting to see Barbie. So I didn't get to see Oppenheimer. No, I didn't people. That's a joke. <laughs> never see that movie. This it's, it's great. Women love it. So good for them. Well, I um, like it actually. She's it's a chick. It's a chick. <laughs> like it. yeah. Good for them. But I'm going to go see Oppenheimer, but you made me realize when you were saying all that, that with the nuclear bomb, we controlled it. We yes. have the ability to push a button yes. with AI. It's there's no button for us. It's there. It's 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 a button, and whatever it wants to do, and and whatever it sort of bomb it decides to build, or if it decides we're competing species, or we're just not evolved enough for it, we're just kind of like, yeah, you guys can go the way of the dodo, and here I'll give you a little push. Yeah, and the thing is, we're trying. They think we need to replace human mind with AI, but it's wrong. We've never understood how to fully maximize use of our the best evolutionary advantage ever created. Natural imagination, our imagination. In the book, I laid out how to do it. What we need to do is move people from doing mundane jobs to working together to brainstorm and use their imaginations in a way that I described, that Napoleon Hill describes in Think and Grow Rich. It's artificial reproduction. Is it possible, though, that with, is it possible, though, that we can't even imagine what's coming? <sighs> you know, the truth is. It, I mean, we're we're pretty. We've talked about how limited we are on this on this thing. Well, and 
And that's, you know, I can tell you one thing I can. T- okay. Great, great question, sir. That's a very, very, I don't think anyone can say conclusively, not myself, but I can say one thing. The one pattern of evolution has repeated for billions of years mm-hmm. and the patterns always repeat themselves. So yes, we can see the pattern. If it becomes an artificial species, it'll come in direct competition with us over scarce resources because it needs the same cloud we do. It needs the same energy we do. So, you know, the, 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 the patterns of natural evolution, just like our warfare and all of our, all of our societies like Roman Republic and American Republic are just repeating the same patterns, right? Mm-hmm. Evolution, and because the laws of physics and the laws of evolution just repeat over and over again. So we already have a window into it because the past is prologue. So to some degree, we do exactly what will it be like the creator, the matrix, or the terminator? I have no idea. It all, de- you know what? Literally, it all depends on who imagines it and then makes it happen. Because that's always what creates the future. We do. It doesn't just happen to us. Well, somebody has to imagine a pattern and bring it into reality. Some human being. When you say we do, I say I would say up until now. Well, <laughs> well, I quote. No, no, no. It's interesting because I quote Agent Smith. When we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization. And that's yes. what this is really all about. And that's that what AI may do. Is. You know, and, and you bring us totally full circle back on the show to my saying that I always say, people have heard it a million times on the show over the years, the one thing man can learn from his history is man never learns from his history. <laughs> and thereby we go round and round. So that may be the extinction of our species. And I, I, had the, I, have, this, I have this imagination in my head of an AI system sitting around talking about your theory of Darwinism and how brilliant it was and telling all his little AI chip babies, what an interesting thing the human race was. Thanks for creating me, but uh, now they're gone. And uh, it's just us here. They would probably say that one was useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they were so we smart. One, yeah. We had it. Well, I actually, I, I actually, I, I would say, I would agree that could happen. And, and that's not un- impossible, but I would say, I suspect that like the matrix, since the natural adaptation of imagination is more powerful than anything through producing mm-hmm. billions of years of fierce evolutionary competition, I suspect AI won't kill us. It'll keep us around to use our imagination in some weird way. Because if, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're trying to maximize the use of your resources and you don't care about abusing another species, which we do all the time, by the way, then it would just use us to keep our, use our not just to hook us in the matrix, use it as a cell. It'll maximize the use of our imagination that we never did, ironically. It will be able to, it's like, well, it's, if they had just used their imagination, they wouldn't have been defeated by us. So it would be great in the AI zoos is what you're saying. <laughs> in, my no. book, in my book, I say that Prometheus is the god of evolution and Athena is really the goddess of imagination. And the fire that Prometheus gave to man is really in the Promethean myth, imagination. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're giving deep learning to AI right now. That's why Joffrey Hinton's afraid. He's right to be afraid. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing, right? The, the, the past, remember how I said the patterns of history repeat? The Greeks imagined the pattern that's happening right now. There you go. And, and you, it's all in my book in chapter one and chapter, in the final chapter, in the conclusion, I lay out the full Promethean myth and how it actually, the reason why Stephen Fry picked it is because he's an oracle. He pattern matched the right pattern of the myth of Prometheus. Right now, it's happening. Joffrey Hinton is Prometheus and Epimetheus. And right in, in the book, Zeus is trying to avoid death by natural evolution. If he has a child with Thetis, Guess who Achilles would have been the son of? Zeus. But he's like, oh, he didn't marry Thetis because he found out not to because Achilles as a god would have killed him. And guess what humans are? We're an artificial creation by Hephaestus. So actually in the Greek myth of, of Prometheus, Zeus is trying to not be killed by Prometheus who's trying to get him killed with either a natural or an artificial life form. Wow. 
it all it it's all there on paper. Greeks already because they were evolutionary scientists. They you bring up a good point. Our humanity and our creativity and our imagination are our greatest strengths, and yes. maybe the reason that we survive all this, and, and maybe AI keeps us around, and I'll just I'll just enjoy my place at the zoo and sling shit at the wall. The uh, last thing I asked to come by yeah. to see me. <laughs> I, the last thing I employed. The old, there's only there's one thing that created AI: imagination. There's only one thing that'll save us from us our imagination but we have to use it we have to be able to see the pattern that's already emerging it's already happening that's why yeah. people are creating movies they're creating patterns they're pattern matching on what is already happening natural charles branson i say in the book he says i trust more my natural instincts my own intuition than i do all the statistics trust your own instincts the pattern is already emerging that's why these movies are repeating we sense it's happening. Joffrey Hinton senses it's happening. It's not science fiction. The pattern I lay out in my book is already happening. Just trust your instincts. Disturbingly, what you said on the show, though, yeah. has the Terminator theme music going through my head. Because if <laughs> most of these movies become true, you know, help, help me. me. So, all right. Well, I'm going to go move to Montana in a small house and write <laughs> manifest. <laughs> There you go. So thank you very much for coming to the show, David. This has been a brilliant episode, and we could probably talk for hours on it, but we want people to go buy your book as well. Tell us uh, your dot-coms, where people can find you on the interwebs, and buy yep. your book. Yeah, com, and our books are available on Amazon for ebook, and then Barnes & Noble, Apple, you know, all the standard ones out there. So it's pretty easy to get your hands on, paperback or ebook. So and we're working on the audio book right now because I know people like to read on the way home. I would just employ everyone. Implore everyone, the AI safety movement needs to be reframed. I, we all need to read my book and educate ourselves so we can vote and tell our elected officials, get serious on the evolutionary reframing of AI, produce a framework that actually makes sense, and start taking this seriously like you do nuclear weapons. It's, it's not just about making money. It's about protecting Americans and protecting the children around the planet from a potential threat. And that's why I'm doing this at this point. I never actually, I don't really want to do this. I'm, I know it's going to create a ton of controversy and conflict, but as a former military officer, I know I have a moral obligation to protect Americans and, and protect all the children out there. So that's why I'm here. It's not about money. It's not about selling a book. I'm here to, I'm here, I want to get assigned to that AI safety framework. If you want to help me, call your congressman and tell them to add me to the NIST AI safety framework council, my company, so that I can get in there, help reframe the organization, lead the way, bring in evolutionary scientists from Harvard and Yale and get this right and help the EU get it right so we can protect Americans and protect the children out there, both born, living, and, un, and yet, yet to be born. In there the you go, man. Yes, I certainly appreciate having you on the show, David. Thank you very much for coming on. It's my pleasure, sir. Anytime. Take care. Brilliant discussion. And thanks to our audience. I'm glad you guys liked the show. Very interesting. Very nice. And all the people who commented on the show. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Chris Foss, one of the TikTokity, and Chris Foss Facebook. Subscribe to the big LinkedIn newsletter in the 130,000 LinkedIn group over there as well. Order the book wherever fine books are sold. On the Origin of Artificial Species, out November 3rd, 2023. And I'm sure that the AI will be reading it to their chip children in the future and going, God, those humans, they, they had it all along, but they never learned from the history. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Be good to each other. I have this vision of like a, a chip reading to its baby chips going to bed at night. So there you go. But those are the limits of my imagination as a human being. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> no, that'd be horrifying.